There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. Not all confessions should be taken with absolute certainty. False confessions exist. And while it seems odd that someone would confess to killing someone when they were innocent, there are extenuating circumstances that we may never understand. On September 11, 2014, a woman was released after decades behind bars for a crime that she did not commit. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Nursing student Michelle Mitchell was just 19 years old when her Volkswagen Beetle broke down at an intersection in Reno, Nevada on February 24, 1976. She had been taking a container of orange juice to her diabetic father at a nearby bowling alley. And the last anyone saw her, she was getting help from a stranger who kindly pushed her vehicle into a nearby parking lot on Evans Street. Having already called her mom to come help her, Michelle was keen to wait for her arrival. But when her mother arrived just minutes later, Michelle was nowhere to be found. Two hours later, after police, her parents, and the family dog failed to locate her, Michelle's body was found in a couple's garage across the street from her school, her hands bound behind her back and her throat sliced. She had been left to die, and her unknown killer left very little behind in the way of evidence. Their only real clue a cigarette butt that, given the time period, wasn't all that helpful, and the print of a men's 9 or 9.5 shoe. In the weeks following Michelle's murder, police received a number of calls about the case, some of which claimed to see a man fleeing the area in the short window of time between Michelle's call, her mother's arrival at the school, and her body's discovery. Despite the description of this fleeing man, the case continued without any suspects or leads, and after a few years, became completely cold. That was until a woman named Kathy Woods started to talk and turn this case from a simple random murder to a story worthy of television. Kathy Woods, three years after Michelle's murder, confessed to killing the young teenager. The only catch? Kathy was what they referred to at the time as a mental patient at the Louisiana State University Medical Center. According to Kathy, with gaps filled in by the media, she had been living in Reno and working as a bartender when Michelle was killed. Shortly after, she moved to Louisiana with her mother, who quickly committed her to a hospital where professionals diagnosed her with paranoid schizophrenia. It was while she was committed that she, according to her counselor, told a, quote, vague story about having killed a girl named Michelle in Reno several years earlier. The counselor, of course, contacted Shreveport Police, who then called the Reno Police Department. One look at their cold cases told them exactly who Kathy must have been talking about. Despite her lengthy history of mental illness, that she made wildly false statements like the fact that she worked for the FBI or that her mother was poisoning her, no evidence connecting her to the scene, and the fact that everything Kathy told police was reported in the media... Kathy Woods was arrested and charged with the killing of Michelle Mitchell. She went to trial in 1980, where the prosecution's whole case was built solely on her confession and the fact that she was living in Reno at the time of the murder. 
According to the officer who interviewed Kathy after her initial confession, she offered to help fix Michelle's car that day and lured her into the garage on the pretext of getting some tools. Once inside, Kathy started to make sexual advances towards the uninterested Michelle. The denial was too much, and Kathy attacked her. For the prosecution, the case seemed pretty cut and dry. The defense, however, had a woman named Kathy Murnigan, ready to take the stand and tell the jury that, while she was in jail, an inmate named Ray Wood confessed that her boyfriend, Tony Lima, who killed Michelle Mitchell. Tony, of course, denied killing Michelle, and Ray Wood invoked her Fifth Amendment privilege and refused to testify unless granted immunity. The prosecution refused, and the judge barred Kathy Murnigan's testimony because he did not consider her trustworthy. Because of this, Kathy Woods was convicted of first-degree murder on December 11, 1980, and sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. This sentence was overturned by the Supreme Court on the grounds that Kathy Murnigan's testimony should have been allowed, but at the end of her new trial in 1984, Kathy was convicted for a second time. Now, while this seemed like the end of the story, this was far from the end of Michelle and Kathy's tale. You see, Kathy eventually retracted her confession, and while behind bars, got another inmate to help her write a letter to the Rocky Mountain Innocence Project and ask for DNA testing to be done in the case. And while this seemed far-fetched for some, Kathy had every right to ask the case to be looked into a bit more, because around the same time Michelle was killed, so were five other women matching the same gruesome M.O. On January 8, 1976, just a month before Michelle Mitchell's murder, the body of 18-year-old Veronica Cassio was discovered in a creek in Sharp Park Golf Course in Pacifica, California. She had been stabbed 30 times, and shortly after her murder, a transient was arrested but later released due to lack of evidence. A few weeks later, 14-year-old Tatiana Blackwell was reported missing from Pacifica and, like Veronica, found near Sharp Park in the Gypsy Hills section of the city. She, too, had been stabbed multiple times. Next was 17-year-old Paula Baxter, who went missing on February 2nd. Her nude body was found two days later, having been stabbed to death four times, sexually assaulted, and hit over the head with a piece of concrete. Despite the differences between the other cases, hers was forensically connected to Veronica's. On April 1st, literally four days after Michelle's murder, 19-year-old Denise Lamp was found dead in a parking lot in Daly City, California, after suffering from 20 stab wounds. And on May 6th, the body of 26-year-old Carol Booth was found in Coma Creek in South San Francisco after being reported missing in mid-March. These confirmed cases were soon dubbed the Gypsy Hill Murders, with the media calling the killer the San Mateo Slasher. There were a number of other possible cases connected, but all of the victims were young brunette women who experienced car trouble just before being attacked. Sound familiar? With the help of the Rocky Mountain Innocence Project, the DNA on that cigarette butt was finally tested in 2013, and later linked to a man named Rodney Halbauer, a man with a lengthy criminal past and who was on bond at the time of Michelle's murder in 1976. 
convicted of the rape of a Reno blackjack dealer and sentenced to life imprisonment, Rodney had escaped from prison in Nevada in 1996 and managed to get all the way to Oregon where he stabbed a woman in a parking lot. He was convicted of the assault and sent back to Nevada to resume his sentence. He was granted parole for the rape conviction and turned straight over to Oregon in 2014 to begin his life sentence for that 1986 attack. It was while he was in Oregon that he was finally forced to provide DNA for the FBI database, which almost immediately connected him to not just Michelle Mitchell's case, but that of Veronica Cassio and Paula Baxter. With this new information, Kathy Wood's conviction was vacated in September of 2014, and she was granted a new trial where the information on Rodney's DNA was presented to a jury. On September 11th, 2014, Kathy Woods was released on bond, and on March 6th, 2015, her charges were dismissed. She was 68 years old at the time and is the longest-serving wrongfully convicted woman in U.S. history. The attorney who represented Kathy in the past believes that she confessed to the murders to get a better room at the institution. After three decades behind bars, Kathy filed a lawsuit against the state of Nevada. Washoe County settled its portion of the lawsuit for $3 million, and Reno separately agreed to pay the same in August of 2020. Though it's a nice gesture, I'm sure it does little to help that she served most her life behind bars. And what happened with Rodney? Though the Gypsy Hill killings were later proven to have been the work of at least two men, Rodney Hallbauer was charged with the murders of Paula Baxter and Veronica Cassio in January of 2015, and in 2018 was convicted and sentenced to two life sentences. He is still facing a potential trial in Nevada for the murder of Michelle Mitchell. In 2017, a man named Leon Melvin Seymour was charged with the murder of Denise Lamp after DNA connected him to the case, which means that the murders of Tatiana Blackwell and Carol Lee Booth are still unsolved, though many believe Rodney is responsible. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear a terrible thing happened on September 12th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.